Inductees into the South Dakota Hall of Fame come from all backgrounds of life, but one thing they all have in common is their daily pursuit of their dreams. In this podcast, you will hear stories of the legacy of these inductees and how these dream chasers have impacted South Dakota in meaningful ways. Here's your host, Miles Beacom. Hello, I'm Miles Beacom with the South Dakota Hall of Fame. And today with me, I've got Robert Mudge. And Rob was inducted into the South Dakota Hall of Fame in 2015. Rob has an incredible story to share with you. And it's really to share with the entire state about chasing your dreams and having those dreams come true. To start with, Rob, thanks for joining us today. And could you give us a little history of yourself from childhood on? Because you've got an amazing story to share. Well, thanks, thanks, Miles, for the nice introduction. But I'm, I'm pretty old. I don't know if you have that much time. But no, <laughs> no, I, w- I would be happy to share. Uh, uh, basically, uh, I'm a South Dakota born and raised kid. Uh, was born actually in Hot Springs. My parents lived in Edgemont. And uh, we lived in the hills area from Edgemont to Rapid City and Sturgis for a little while uh, in my real young years. And then about fifth grade or so, uh, um, we, uh, we went to Huron for a while, uh, for about a year and a half, and then came back to Rapid. And then since, since that time, um, that the hills have been my home. And so I was a, was a um, Pinedale uh, grade school kid and, and West Junior High and Stevens High School. Uh, actually, uh, my wife and I were the first part of first class that went through Stevens High School and graduated from Stevens High School in 72. And then um, I always liked to uh, putz around with cars and mechanical things. My dad was a mechanic and that type of thing. And so I uh, uh, thought, well, should go to School of Mines and, and be a mechanical engineer. And that was, that was kind of the, the goal. And uh, so I went out to school and, and signed up as a mechanical. And uh, during my first year of school, um, I had a general engineering teacher, uh, Dr. Bruce Palmer, that was a metallurgist. And he suggested I go into metallurgy. And I told him I didn't want to be a weatherman. And uh, he kind of laughed and I wondered, why is he laughing at me? So I signed at the baseball fields that summer in between my freshman and, and, and sophomore years. And he said, well, you ready to sign up? We have some scholarships. Scholarships? I didn't have any scholarships. I didn't have any. And so um, uh, we, <laughs> we talked a little bit. And I went home and looked up what a metallurgist was. And it was not a weatherman. And so long and the short, I uh, then went back that fall and signed up into metallurgy. Um, and what really, I guess, caught my interest was it had all the math and everything that I enjoyed and the mechanical things, uh, but it had some chemistry involved as well. And so I thought, well, I think I'd like to learn about metals and you know, the different alloys and how you treat them and how you can make things. And, and that's really how, how I got started into the metallurgy. Um, got, uh, and did get some scholarships. And of course, scholarships back then weren't near, as, near what they are now. It was like you know, $250 or 500 or a really big one was 1000 So, mm-hmm. uh, And I was kind of the non-traditional student I was married my, uh, the, the, the winter of my sophomore year and, uh, to my high school sweetheart, Debbie. And uh, then she kind of put the, um, the hammer down and said, if I'm going to support you while you're going to school, you're going to work a little harder than you have been. So I, then I started working really hard and, and doing better and getting better grades and, and getting more scholarships and whatever. And when I went to graduate, I had uh, about seven job offers around the country with different companies. And... Um, I wasn't ready to leave the Black Hills yet, and uh, neither was my wife. And so um, um, they had some intern or some some uh, uh, money available for 
for, for young students that wanted to go into their master's degree programs. They were sponsored by large corporations, they were research grants type thing. And so I did that and uh, stayed around for another year, year and a half. And then I went to work. I went to uh, East Helena, Montana for a company called Osarco, American Smelting and Refining. And uh, Helena is a great city, just like Rabbit City and the Black Hills and the Rocky Mountains. Uh, the mountains are a bit bigger and, and, and more elk and bear up there than they are here, but um, great people, great city. Um, but uh, uh, the job ended up really not what I was after. And I ended up down in Southern California for Kaiser Steel at, a, at one of the world's largest open, uh, open pit iron ore mines and processing facilities. And um, after about a year, I was told by my boss that they were gonna be probably closing that facility and I should probably look for something else. And so I uh, had a friend that was working here in town uh, with an engineering firm out of Minneapolis and uh, doing construction projects for large corporations all over North America. And so uh, I had a chance to come home. And so I did that in 1980. I traveled extensively from Edmonton, Alberta to Jacksonville, Florida, to Syracuse, New York, and many places in between, uh, and was gone all the time. And that doesn't work well when you've got a family with two little girls and your wife. And <clears throat> it was obvious that if that lifestyle would continue, I might not be married much longer. And so, um, my father just had some back surgery and uh, I invited him out for coffee one day when I was back in town and I was complaining about my travel and what it was doing to my family and, and whatever, expecting some sympathy. That's what fathers mm -hmm. do in support, right? Well, I didn't get sympathy. I got, well, quit your complaint and start a company. Quit your complaint and start a company, okay? Okay, what am I gonna do? And he said, well, do some of the project managing that you're doing. You know the engineering firms, you can hire a crew and do that more locally in, in maybe a 100, 200, 300 mile radius. Okay, um, what am I gonna do that with? Well, he says, I know you're frugal and you had money when you got out of college and, and you've been working and you have a, a, a nice boat, ski boat and a, and a car. Don't you have some equity in those? And I said, yeah. He said, sell them. And your mom and I will match whatever you can raise in your equity. Sell my ski boat, sell my nice car. Okay, well, I've never run a company before. I don't know how to do that. Have you ever run a company? He says, no, but you can. So <clears throat> I go home and I'm a little disappointed I didn't get my sympathy. I got a challenge instead and uh, went home and talked to my wife, Debbie, and says, uh, here's what do you think? Here's the options. And she said, you know, um, I don't want to leave again. We could do that. I want to stay here if we can. Because um, I had a really good relationship with my grandparents, especially my grandma. And so I want to raise my kids around their grandparents if we can. And I said, okay, let's figure it out. So this all ties into when you start a company, one of the main things you have to have is commitment, not desire, commitment. Because commitment means that no matter what, that's what you do. You stick with your decision. And so our decision was, we were gonna raise our kids around their grandparents because both her parents and my parents were in town. And so that was the, that was the uh, commitment that we had. And that's how I got to starting RPM and Associates in 1982. Amazing story, Rob. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Uh, when you were in high school, did you have any idea 
what you'd really be doing after you graduated from college. And especially into the, you were more focused on autos. And because of a professor there, you changed direction completely. Mm -hmm. uh, now, as you think back about that, any, any thoughts to share? Well, um, when I was in high school, I didn't think any further ahead than uh, the next time I was going to wash my the car I had, or the next time I was going to go out on a date with Debbie, or or go to my my part time jobs, or what I, I and I was I was I was a B student in in high school, and I, I played some sports and in that, but uh, um, for a while, I, to support my cars and my my hobbies, um, I had three part time jobs. You know, I was doing a newspaper job at 4.30 in the morning and I was working at James Motor cleaning cars and, and I was working at McDonald's. That was just who I was. And so when I got taught the mechanical and got changed, there, it, it was a bit of a change because it had the chemical in, involved with it. But when metallurgy comes, when you look at that, the thing that intrigued me was one, the money, not really knowing what it is. And then two, um, when I got into it, you understood that there was lots of mechanical things to make metallurgy work. That was much more elaborate than what a car is and much more horsepower and, and, and incredible in size. And, and, you know, you have fans that are, you know, 2,000 horsepower. And, I mean, you just don't turn those on like a flip of a switch on the wall. And so learning about that, the mechanical part of me was satisfied, but I had the chemistry interest too. So saying that um, that was a plan in high school, not even close. Not even close. But the transition worked out well. The only thing that was bad is that a mechanical engineer, you can find jobs pretty much anywhere you want to go. There, there's, there's opportunities everywhere in lots of different areas. Metallurgy is a little bit more difficult, and that's hence why we had to leave the area. Yeah. Well, so many kids think that they need to know in junior high or high school what they're going to do the rest of their life. And three daughters and a son, and they all yeah. said, how did you know what you want to do? I said, I still don't know what I'm going to do when I grow up. <laughs> but the main thing is to get that education, and yeah. it will funnel you into different directions and give you those tools uh, to succeed and, as well. And you learn every day. Uh, every year you get a little older, you, you go through another year of school, you, you learn things, you see things, opportunities, and opportunities are presented uh, to you and, and some you embrace and some you just, nah, that's not me yet or whatever. And, uh, and that's how you just uh, make yourself, you know, how you, how you find yourself through life. And, and the biggest thing is, you know, find something that you enjoy that didn't pay the bills. And so um, we ended up with a large vacuum truck and started a cleaning service along with that to pay the bills. Was it fun? No. Was it hard work? Yeah. Was it dirty work? Yeah. Was it something I really wanted to do or planned on doing? No. But sometimes you do things you really don't want to do because you remember your commitment. I have to pay the bills, have a family to raise, and so this is what I have to do to live in this area and pay my bills. I'll keep my eyes open. I'll find the next opportunity that gets me more into metallurgy. So we're in the cleaning business from 85 through 2000. Uh, we really started hard in the uh, welding and overlay business in 86 and 87. And then it's, it's continued to grow today uh, where the cleaning business has, is long gone. Isn't it amazing the knowledge and the foresight that your father had back there just in belief in his son to be able to build what has been built. Uh, and then the sacrifice that you made, and that had to be tough when your dad says, well, you got a nice car and a boat, and why don't you sell them? <laughs> and I'll match it, but uh, again, the belief that he had in you uh, to be able to start a business. And then 
<clears throat> knowing that the business would take some time and also starting the cleaning service as well, the business. Uh, and you said, like you said, it, it wasn't fun. It, you needed it to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. It was hard work. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other thing I think people should know is where did you start your business when you did decide to start? <laughs> well, like I said, we didn't have any, any money, so to speak. We just what well, we had sold the car and the boat to raise the money. And, Ma, and mom and dad, Ma, mom was not so fired up about the business as my dad was. And part of that reason, I think she wanted to have the grandkids around. She liked that. But dad took the retirement funds and helped start our company. And my mom wasn't real happy about that. I didn't know that till many years later. Um, but I think what it all ends up, uh, uh, Miles, when you go through that and you look at dad and having that vision, um, you wonder if it was vision and, and the confidence in you. You wonder if it was, he wanted to keep the grandkids around. He, I, I really don't know to this day, and dad passed away five years ago. I really don't know to this day what his actual motivation was other than I, I think he knew I liked challenges. And I think he thought, I think Rob can do this. I certainly didn't think that. I had, I, you know, when, when you have the unknown, and again, I go back and, and look at, at during that time, I was now 27 years old. You're going to start a company, and I've only been out of school three or four years, and how am I going to do this? It's, it's, uh, it's, it's intimidating. It's a little overwhelming. Um, but I think having a great family support, um, I think having a faith in God, he'll take care of me. Um, and I say a lot of times, doing the right thing for the right reasons. And so this seemed like the right reason is to, you have your family, they want to, your wife wants to live around her parents and our parents. And, and I didn't have grandparents when I was growing up. Um, they had passed away. And so I was relying on Debbie's experience. And, uh, and I think now, what is it, 38 years later, 39 years next, next spring, uh, we're the grandparents. And so it's gone full cycle that we have one daughter here in town with three grandkids and one in Phoenix with two. And the youngest one just started college, or the oldest one just started college. So, I mean, you know, we've, we've not been able to get our grandkids to be here, but pretty close. So. Not yet all of them anyway. We're, hey, I'm working on that pretty hard, actually. <laughs> but Rob, I think your father after raising you, knew your commitment of all the jobs you had while you were in even high school, uh, the commitment you had through college. Uh, I'm sure he wanted you here, but at the same time, uh, he believed in what you could do. But you started your business in your basement as oh, well. Yeah. And I just think that's amazing where people probably think you started in the facility you have today and you look at that and you go, <laughs> wow. And people need to understand that, as your father said, you're frugal and you started what, what you could uh, financially cover. Yeah, and you know, when, when you when you bring it up in that light of, of where you started, uh, we had a house, we bought a house when we moved back uh, uh, in West Rapid on Brookside Drive, and it was a house built in the late 50s, and it had the uh, concrete poured basement and the little window wells up top, you know, so the basements were dark and dingy and, and a little bit damp, and you had open ceilings with just the, the uh, two by eight or two by 10 uh, floor joists and whatever. Um, and the, uh, the uh, little ceramic 
fixtures that you screw the light bulb in with a string hanging down and whatever to turn them on and off. We had a couple of those down there. The washer and dryer was over in one corner where the drain was and the water coming in and a couple of electrical outlets. And when we put our office together, uh, the basement was unfinished and we had a little card table and a couple of chairs. Um, we had a manual typewriter with uh, correction tape uh, and we, had, we did have a, a little uh, fluorescent light uh, uh, and uh, uh, electric um, uh, calculator uh, that had a tape, the, the tape on it, which we used both sides of the tape, by the way. After we filled up one side, we flipped it around and did the other side too, uh, so we keep track of things. And a little two-drawer file cabinet. Um, and then Debbie says, I'm not going to work down here and be cold. So I put electric heater underneath there, but there were not enough outlets where the, we had the table set in that. I had to run an orange extension cord across the floor to the other side of the, the uh, basement where there's another outlet to hook up the heater for her. So what I just described to you was indeed the corporate headquarters of RPM Associates in 1982. And people do. They come to our facility now out on Concourse Drive. It's about a 60,000 square foot facility. It's 20 years old now but it looks like new, it's a concrete tilt up, it's very nice, it's uh, very modern. Or you going up the hill to our, our other building for RPM Innovations now, that is a state-of-the-art additive manufacturing building that has all the bells and whistles to meet the uh, uh, DFARS regulations for access control and everything. And you say, whoa, this is just a bit different than our basement office, you know, about 40 years ago, so. But that takes a lot of work, it takes a lot of planning, it takes a lot of, failure. It takes a lot of, you know, finding out what's the right thing to do, finding out what you did wrong and then correcting it and going forward, you know, because that's one of the things about being an entrepreneur. You don't make all the right decisions. By far, you don't make the right decisions every day. You make bad decisions someday and you learn from them and you get smarter and stronger and then you move forward. We've always said making mistakes is good. That's how you learn. And that's that, that's where you really out. learn. Yeah, when it hurts a little more, you learn a little more. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Rob, what was your, you're in the basement now working as your headquarters. Uh, what was kind of the big opportunity early on that really helped your business grow? Um, I think, Miles, there was a couple things that, that uh, two or three things that, that really hit us. And, um, First one was that, that, that we, we generated a good relationship with Hubbard Milling. That's, that really started things. Uh, then the, uh, we had a relationship with some of the bentonite plants up in Colony, Wyoming and Belfouche. That really helped. But I think the biggest thing, as those were some of the early things, but the biggest thing in uh, late 85, we, we bid a job at the South Dakota cement plant at that time. It was rebuilding one of their large dust collectors. And I had been working with dust collectors all my career in, in the industry, and, uh, but I was a small company. And there were multiple bidders, and of course the cement plant, um, being a state operation, uh, they, they really have to look hard at the low bids. They have to understand if it's not low bid, why you can justify the difference. And so long and short is we bid that work. Um, we were not low bid. And uh, my wife had actually won a free trip on one of these radio call-in things. And uh, uh, she decided we, we like to take kids down to Disneyland or Disney World in Florida. And so I had submitted this bid and we were down to Disney World and uh, uh, went from there up to Atlanta to visit my aunt and uncle up in, in, in Gosia, uh, all the Atlanta area and, and all those kinds of things. 
and I got a call from the cement plant on Wednesday and they said they were going to have a review of the, the uh, uh, three low bidders or three selected bidders on Friday morning. And I needed to be there at 7 a.m. Friday morning. And I suggested, well, I'm in Atlanta and my wife has we have to go back to Orlando to fly home. Blah, blah. Didn't matter. I, if I wasn't there on Friday morning, I just forfeited my opportunity. So um, we made arrangements and uh, I flew from Atlanta to Rapid uh, via Chicago, which was way late. I got in about 2 a.m. Friday morning in Rapid City with my wife in Atlanta and I went to the meeting, made my presentation and we were number two out of three on the bids. We were not the low bid. And the long and the short of the story is that we were awarded that work because of the expertise that we had and the history I had with the dust collectors and that. Uh, I'm feeling good about that, but my wife is driving from Atlanta to Orlando with two little girls and finding her way to the airport and flying home and they made it just fine. <laughs> So uh, sometimes you do things you don't really want to do, but that was probably the biggest step that really uh, got enough cash flow, which was difficult because we didn't have enough cash flow for the thing, but we worked hard and smart. We got done early and, and uh, uh, they were ecstatic with the work we did. And that really was a kickoff that allowed us the funds to go have a down payment to buy our first vacuum truck to get in a cleaning business. So that probably was the biggest step. And then after that, uh, you got started on the cleaning business and then you, you had enough funding from that. You say, well, I still got to get in to use my metallurgy. And then Homestake opened the doors and allowed us to do some things up there with some hard facing and automatic welding. And that started things and that, and that led then to the power industry. So it, it really started off that big, big cement plant job probably is what I have to say. Well, it's, a, it's amazing uh, just from where you were in the basement to what you have today. Uh, and I just think that's where the, most people don't understand the sacrifices that you and Debbie made, uh, the commitment that you had, not only for your business, but for the state uh, and the community. And I'd say your tenacity, just to always be willing to, to do that extra thing that needed to be done. And sacrifices even on a vacation where you had to fly back and have your wife take care of the kids and get back to Orlando. Uh, those are things that aren't expected or routine, but mm -hmm. in the work world, they're expected if you want to uh, accomplish something, and you did. Yeah. Uh, it would have been very easy for you to say, well, I'll catch the next bid, I'm, I'm down here. Uh, but you knew how important that was to your business, and again, a huge sacrifice. And I think the important part about that is not only did I know that, but my wife knew that. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a secret. <laughs> you know, she's right in the middle of it. She does all the books and everything. So she's right in the middle of it and said, Hey, yeah, we need that. I can do this. Don't worry about it. I can handle it. And, uh, thank goodness everything worked out. And, and, you know, it, you talk about from whence we've came to where we are today. Um, you know, there's gotta be a ringleader to every circus, but there's a lot of actors and participants in that circus. Um, and I don't mean to say that, that they're clowns and things like that. There's lots of skilled people in a circus. And we have lots and lots of skilled people from tradesmen and engineers and, and folks that have helped along the way. So this isn't just Rob that's done this. This is a, this is a whole team that's put that together. And we have an employee, 
our company's gonna be 39 years old next spring and he's been here almost 35 years. We have many that are 20 and 25 years. We have engineers now, since we got into the laser uh, uh, deposition, uh, we have many uh, young men that are 15 and 17 years. So this is, as it's grown and you take advantage of the opportunities that are presented to you, um, you find different skill sets that you need and you find the right people because the success of the companies is about the people and the people and how they treat the customers and, and the culture that you have. And, you know, we work off a culture of safety first, quality second, uh, production third, and if we do those things right, we'll have a profit. I, I just think it's amazing. You're, you've built an organization that is known worldwide now. Mm -hmm. uh, you have partners that you perform for in, not only in the United States and with the government, but also with China and with, what are the countries and are you? Right now, the active, real active people, we have, uh, and, and we, we, there are three different areas of interest in our companies, and we have some customers in China, that's a fairly small amount. Um, we have a really good customer in Japan, uh, working with Taiwan, uh, and that's, those are in the laser deposition side of things. Um, we have uh, a system in Poland, one in Brazil, and several systems around the U.S. with aerospace companies and R&D companies uh, and some of our military uh, sites. And uh, so really it's, it's kind of based on what we're doing as to where the customers are. Uh, the RPM solutions side of things, those are UPSable type things so you can have customers further away. The uh, laser deposition, the RPM innovations, that's, um, we do R&D and stuff for people all over the world that are trying to find, is additive manufacturing a good way to uh, make things instead of the old way or is there a combination? And then the RPM Associates, which is the core company that we're basically in the, in the uh, uh, lower 48 and up into Canada because those parts now, you can put three of them on a semi-truck and that's about all that they hold. So uh, freight is more of an issue with that. But um, it's interesting how the different interests in our companies or different capabilities really have grabbed um, the, uh, the attention of industry. Um, you know, it was back in 2001 when Dick Gowan, who was president of the School of Mines at that time, called and asked me to get into, into the laser welding with him. That's what it was called at that time. And I told him I didn't know what laser welding was other than I knew about lasers because my wife just had LASIK surgery and they used lasers. And I said, don't your civil engineers use lasers to keep things level? And he said, yeah. And I said, that's all I know. I'm, I'm of no value to you, Dick. And uh, he said, no, no, no. That's all I know. Come join me and we'll learn together. And so we did. And uh, he gave me a 30-day a crash course on earmarks and presentations to senators and, and representatives. And and we went to D.C. about a month later and made our presentation with him as our guide, if you will. And uh, the good thing is we were awarded that monies and the School of Mines got money and a group uh, out of uh, uh, Minnesota got some and we did. And that was the start of the friction stir system and the laser system that the School of Mines has. And it also allowed us to get a laser system. And then uh, uh, that was really the start of things to, to start the RPM Innovations Company. And now... That company, um, it's been incorporated and pulled off RPM Associates in 2013. has its own facility, like I said, like I mentioned earlier, up on Turbine Drive. State of the art, uh, more DED systems and the largest in the world with a controlled environment. Uh, working for many different organizations, most of which I can't talk about. 
but the cool thing is our, we built, designed and built the first large five, 557 system that we have, meaning five foot by five foot by seven foot work envelope, and um, which is still in service today. It was put in service in 2009. And the interesting thing about that, most of the, most of the staff that worked on that were School of Mines graduates, of which there was only one that was alive when Debbie and I started RPM Associates in 1982. So these were young engineers that didn't know what they were not supposed to be able to do. And he gave them a challenge and they just did it. So kudos to Dr. Gowan for calling us. Kudos to the students they put out because we have several of them and they do a great job and they are leaders of the industry. To the point that I can say this now because uh, a press release that just came out a couple of months ago, we've been doing a fair amount of work with NASA. And one of the things we're doing is working on nozzles, uh, rocket engine nozzles. And we started with little ones and then bigger and bigger and then once this big, three, four foot. We just completed one that's about 65% full scale. And it's five foot diameter and seven foot tall. Very intricate, thin walls, lots of thousands of channels in and everything. Took over three months to build. Around the clock, seven days a week. And Dick Gowan was the one that, that, um, that asked us to get involved in this with him 20 years ago. And so when that thing was near done, I called him up and asked him, hey, how'd you, I wanna show you what we're doing with that laser stuff we started 20 years ago. I think he didn't be interested. And of course, uh, Dick is getting a little more frail and hard to get around and, and whatever, but he's way interested and, and, and so proud. I took him out there and showed him what was going on. I walked around the corner and this nozzle sitting on a little, little pedestal about as this one we're sitting on. And it's up there seven foot above that, and it's seven foot diameter. He turned around and looked at that. He says, I can't imagine all the details. Because he worked for NASA for many years. Mm -hmm. So to take that project for a full circle from a school president, worked for NASA and said, hey, can you guys join me in this? To yes, we did. And take his students, their ingenuity and work ethic and guidance, hopefully from us, and then have one of the biggest free forms in the world like this right now, with the opportunity to make one eight foot diameter and 10 foot tall. So that's pretty cool. That's very cool. And I, wouldn't, I didn't think about that in high school. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and, that, and that's what we want the youth yeah. to understand yeah. too, yeah. Yeah. is don't be afraid to get into something yeah. that you love and passion. You might have to take a right turn or a left turn mm -hmm. in it. But there's uh, gonna be bumps. Yeah, and there's gonna be plenty of bumps, but if you're committed and they're dedicated to doing the right things, no shortcuts or anything, just like you've done. You've built some incredible partnerships with School of Mines, with your gown, with others to build your business or businesses. How many businesses do you have today now? Well, we used to have three. I, uh, I'm uh, closer to 70 now than I am to 60. And it's time to spend more time with the grandkids and whatever. So we did sell one of our companies to the employees earlier this spring. Um, and they're doing well. Um, we have sold part of a second one to employees and we're still part of that. And then the third one we still have. So, um, and we looked at even selling to large corporations and stuff. And um, uh, the concern was that, you know, maybe, maybe you get a few more dollars, but then the large corporation, they can maybe bring more work in and do all this and that. 
But if things go awry and things go bad, it's really easy to shut things down or move things. And um, we have we have built a culture of we're we're glad to be here. We want to be in Rapid City. Um, our our uh, our staff and companies participate in many many activities through uh, nonprofit groups, churches, sports groups, you name it, uh, throughout the city. Um, we want to keep that. We want to maintain that. Um, that's that's. This is a homegrown deal. Uh, you know, 99% of our work that we do is new work that comes in from outside the state, not just rapidly outside the state. And so, um, but we like to live here. It's a great place to live. It's a great place to raise a family. Um, it's a great community to have friends and, and activities. And so we didn't want to. We didn't want to take those that had worked hard to help build the companies, and possibly make that go away, and we would have no control of stopping it. And so we said, well, we can take a little less and we can go ahead and, and, and work deals with the employees and let them, uh, let them carry on to where when we step back. And then I told them the only problem, the only thing is I have to be, I have to be um, welcomed if I bring coffee and donuts. Sometimes you guys can visit with me and maybe do a project for me here and there. So, uh, and that's all good. So, uh, Rob, thank you for staying in South Dakota as well with your companies because I'm sure you've had many opportunities to expand outside of the state and being mm -hmm. from South Dakota, you know how important those jobs are. Mm -hmm. And these are great jobs for South Dakota. You mentioned one thing just a moment ago is about giving back to the community and being involved in the community. Mm -hmm. Why are you so involved in the community with all the different things that you've been involved in? And if you could share a few of those things and, and just share with us why you believe in being involved. Um. <clears throat> I think the philanthropy part of things um, started from my my parents when I was just a little tyke. You know, uh, they didn't have much, uh, but there was always dad was always fixing a car for somebody, uh, mom was always fixing a meal for somebody. And then when we were in Rapid City here, and I was in like grade school and junior high, um, they both worked at the Ellsworth Air Force Base as civilians, and I don't think there was a holiday or a rare holiday that we didn't have a bunch of Ellsworth Air Force Base Airmen at our place for, for the holiday dinner. And so you just, that was just, that's just what my folks did. It wasn't, it wasn't that they wrote great big checks. And, and so it was kind of, that's where it really started. But you know, as every young family, when you're, especially when you start, there's not much excess. I mean, there isn't much excess. And uh, anybody that started a business and ran a business for a while know that. Um, but you still have that feeling to give back. So you give back with your time. You coach, you mentor, you uh, whatever you do, but you don't write checks. Well, we're looking at as we are more blessed, okay, now we can not only donate our time or expertise, maybe we can, maybe we can start writing some checks. And so you, you look and find out what did my dad, what did my parents, what, what were they concerned about? Um, my dad was born up on the uh, Sanding Rock Indian Reservation up around Mobridge. They're very poor. Food was an issue. So food is something that I'm pretty passionate about, um, or lack of, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, those in need that can't help themselves, um, the disabled, the needy. Um, and so those are some of the things that they tinge a little heartstring and they grab a hold of you and they, you can't get loose. Or, or children in need that have lost parents or been abused or, or whatever. So that, those are the things that, that kind of draw us. So it's always, always has something to do with a, 
a something that we feel strongly about due to our faith and whatever. And some of those that we've done, just to give you an example, is we started uh, supporting World Vision years ago, and we had an opportunity to go over to Zambia in South Africa on a water project where they're doing water and sanitation and hygiene. Free Wheelchair Mission is another group we found, uh, came into contact with, and they provide wheelchairs to the needy in almost 100 countries around the world. In the last, let's see, 19 years, they've given out over a million wheelchairs, about a million too, more than anybody else in the world. It's a faith-based group, volunteers distribute, but you see what those people are doing. We were started writing small checks, got more involved, went to what they call a Founders Weekend, where they bring their board members and some of the key and um, donors in, and they have a, uh, a group that gets together and talks about what's going on in the future and next year, whatever, what they've been on past. And uh, the executive director, um, made a presentation that he said, you know, we've put out about seven or 800,000 wheelchairs. And he says, I don't know how long those wheelchairs last. Five days, five months, I don't know. I don't know how they last in the, in, you know, because their wheelchairs don't, that they give up, don't run on smooth floors like in here on sidewalks. They're out in gravel and sand and rock and snow and you name it, jungle. And he says, uh, I need a test track. And um, uh, he had an idea, but he, you know, he presented that. And there was a first Founders Weekend that Debbie and I had been to in Palm Springs. And uh, the board and everybody else was not excited. And I'm sitting there going, hey, Debbie, we could do that. <laughs> anyway, I went up to him afterwards and I said, Don, I can build that for you. I can design and build it. And I'll get the school of mines involved and we'll design and build it. So we did. And now they have that. It's in service. They have, that has led them to an association with the largest wheelchair manufacturer in the world, uh, doing work for them and helping them manufacture now in India as well. So you never know. Incredible impact. Uh, back again, when you were in high school, did you ever think you'd have the impact on, on the world that you and Debbie have today? Uh, I, I just think it's amazing. And need to wrap some things up here, yep. Rob, but all I can say is, Thank you for everything you've done. But I, I want to ask one la or ask you to state one last thing. What would you tell somebody in high school today uh, to do to chase their dreams after everything that you've learned and have accomplished? If I can do it, anybody can do it. You know, I, I really, truly, I was not the brightest light on the tree. I was a B student. But if you have commitment and you have faith, um, you can really do anything you want. But realize, if I would look back and say, if I knew when we started our PM in 1982, how difficult it would have been, how many hours I had to work, the sacrifices I had to do for the first 20 years, if I knew that the day I started, I may not have started. But then after that 20 years, now what you have put together with the help of a whole lot of other people, you can do a lot of things that nobody else can do. So you have to sacrifice on the front end, but then you can really help on it. So I would say, don't be afraid of the unknown. Have some faith and confidence in yourself because um, you never know what's around the next corner and you learn so much. Yeah. And it would have been very easy a number of times for you to throw in the towel when times are tough, uh, but you overcame those challenges, you and Debbie together and the rest of your organization. Mm -hmm. But again, the impact that you've had on this state, uh, on this community, uh, on the country, 
and then how you continue to give back. Uh, UNW are truly not only leaders in Rapid City, but in South Dakota. And I thank you, thank you for all of that, Rob. So well, thank you very much. Well, Miles, thank you for the kind words. We're just happy to be, be, uh, be part of the party and be able to do what we can because, um, you know, those that have the ability have the responsibility. And, uh, you know, thank goodness that, that God has blessed us to, like I say, be under wildest imagination more than we deserve. And we're able to do that. So just happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you, Miles. Thank you for listening. To learn more about the South Dakota Hall of Fame and these dream chasers, visit our website at www.sdexcellence.org and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.